there's lots of caveats and maybes and all that, but we're maybe halfway to uh, herd immunity at this point. If people are following the CDC guidelines, we may not have the mutants take over. Welcome to the Rain Insights on COVID-19 podcast. I'm Emily Donahue. There's a lot to talk about in this week's episode, from the availability of vaccines to staying safe. That means no big gatherings on Super Bowl Sunday. Let's listen as Rain founder David Lawrence speaks with doctors Fred Southwick and Bill Lang. Bill and Fred, once again, in honor, uh, let's bring the audience up to date with what's new with respect to COVID vaccines and uh, recent data. Well, one of the things I think is new is that the the rates, the, the overall COVID disease, reported COVID disease rate is down 46% week, um, from the peak in early January to now. And so the big issue to me is that people are going to start seeing that and they're going to start feeling like it's all over. <laughs> and then what is the impact of the these new strains. So yeah, that's, a, that's, I think that's a key issue. Yeah. Another exciting development was the, uh, the uh, Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. They showed six, that 67% of the vaccinated did not carry the virus in their nose if exposed. So it looks as though we can actually prevent the spread of the, the vaccine will be effective at preventing carriers. So, Fred, let me unpack that a little bit because uh, I think very significant point because it's one thing uh, for someone to be personally protected uh, from contracting the virus. It's another to say that by virtue of the vaccine, you won't be a carrier. Maybe you could just uh, explain that development a little more for the audience. Sure. Uh, All of the vaccines are directed so far that have been released are directed against the spike protein. And the spike protein is the protein responsible for binding to human cells and uh, the ACE2 receptor. And they need to bind in order to get into the cells. The virus can only replicate when it is in cells. Therefore, if it can't get into cells, it can't grow and spread. And therefore, there's reason to believe that all the vaccines will have a similar effect. In other words, the virus will get into the nose. There will be antibodies directed against the spike protein. The virus will not be able to take hold. It won't be able to grow in those those, uh, epithelial cells, the mucosal cells, and therefore no one will be able to spread the virus. So this is a very exciting development. And understanding how the virus causes disease, this would be predicted. So it's consistent with what you'd predict, understanding how the virus causes disease. And there's obviously uh, the public is focused, uh, as you would understand, trying to figure out if they get the vaccine, if they're lucky enough to get the vaccine, which one should they get? And is there any advice you would give, you know, to folks? Um, And obviously the Johnson & Johnson uh, is hopefully under some expedited review by the FDA to bring their vaccine to market. But uh, what advice would you give to the public? About- I would I would advise them to get whatever vaccine is available. They are all appear uh, very efficacious, and all so far all of them are have a hundred percent protection against severe disease and hospitalization. 
And that's what's most important. So whatever vaccine is available in your area, I would go for that one. Yeah, and, and to put a point on that, perhaps the most important point of all this is not a single death due to COVID-19 has occurred in an immunized person, at least in the study groups. Now, we don't, it's, you know, that when you start getting out to the, everybody who's received it, it's a little more difficult to track. But in over 150,000 people that have been in any studies, there has not been a single death, full stop. And that includes people, a fairly large group who were part of the study in South Africa, so would certainly have been part of the, the South African strain. Um, and that has then been validated in real life in at least Israel, where Israel has about over well over 58, 50% of the population has been vaccinated in Israel, and they have had no deaths uh, from COVID vaccine, I mean, from COVID at all in Israel, um, in the population that has been vaccinated with still a a significant rate um, in the population that has not been vaccinated. Yeah, Bill, I think that is incredibly exciting. And I can tell you that healthcare providers that have been uh, dealing with these very ill patients, if they could, they would be out there vaccinating everyone because they strongly feel that this is the answer uh, to reducing the hospitalizations and eliminating deaths. So nothing could be more important than getting this vast vaccine administered to everyone in the United States. All right. So just to uh, put a fine point on this, uh, your advice uh, to everyone is uh, don't pay attention to or even try to figure out one vaccine versus another. Get the vaccine. All have proven to be highly effective. And the good news coming out of this is that even with different strains emerging, that um, at the very, very least, this is preventing the most consequential impact of this virus, namely death or serious illness, hospitalizations, et cetera. Yes, I agree. All right. We are also seeing um, additional vaccines come on the market. As I mentioned, Johnson Johnson also there's a vaccine coming out of Russia, China. Any thoughts about this? And uh, both of you have spoken about the importance of uh, broadly herd immunity, but also the global and interconnected world and the importance of getting vaccines out writ large uh, to the entire world. Well, I, I, the, I like the J&J &J because it's a single dose. And why that's uh, very helpful from when you're Working in the hospital, one of the things we would like to do, just as we have done for influenza and the, pneumo the pneumonia vaccine, we would like to discharge our patients with a vaccine to protect them against COVID-19. And the J&J &J will fulfill that role in that there doesn't have to be the logistics of a second uh, a booster shot. So um, from that standpoint, I think the J&J &J is going to be very helpful. So very quick review on it. We have the two of, uh, authorized vaccines in the United States, Pfizer and BioNTech, um, and then Moderna, the second one. Both of them are two shots, Pfizer 21 days apart, Moderna 28 days apart. Then the other authorized vaccine in other parts of the world is AstraZeneca. That's authorized in the UK and the EU. We probably won't see that in the United States, if at all, until April. 
Um, and then we have Johnson & Johnson that is going to be going in for approval any day now um, with approval likely probably the Thursday it happens at the the Thursday meeting of the advisory committee that happens so that would probably be not this coming Thursday but probably the the next Thursday at the earliest some people say it'll be uh, the last Thursday of the month but that's coming very closely and the big thing with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, in addition to just one dose, it's also refrigerator stable. So there's a there's a really good argument to be made for using the Johnson & Johnson vaccine in difficult to access populations where you may have to send you know, field workers out and they're not going to be carrying refrigerators on their back. Um, and then the fifth vaccine that is probably coming down the pike fairly soon, uh, especially in other parts of the world, is the Novavax vaccine. Um, and that's also two shots, two, uh, 21 days apart, has demonstrated very high efficacy in the UK, um, fair efficacy in South Africa for prevention of any disease. Um, but that's, that's going to be, probably be a little bit later, but that's coming pretty soon too. Let me just... Uh get both of your views on, on the following. And this comes up time and time again in our working with businesses and um, concerns that their employees have. What side effects are you seeing from taking the vaccine, if any at all? Uh, the major side effects we're seeing is a sore arm in some pa patients. Um, actually, I heard a description by one physician today who, during the second vaccine, felt uh, sick for about 24 hours, and then miraculously it disappeared. And he said uh, the side effects were uh, more, slightly more severe than influenza, but not as bad as the shingles vaccine. So I, I think it's somewhere in between those two types of vaccine. There's a, a moderate but not uh, serious uh, side effects, and there have been very few serious side effects that have uh, been reported. Agree completely. And just, I mean, you you never want to draw a conclusion from one person's experience, but my I had exactly the same experience that your physician friend did uh, when I got my second one. But it was, I took Tylenol and the kind of the general, I kind of had aches and a little bit of, of, of feeling some chills uh, the, the day after I got the vaccine, but I took Tylenol and I felt fine. And I've talked to many people who've had a very, very similar experience, although most people have had no complaints at all. It turns out that usually younger people have uh, more symptoms than uh, older individuals. And uh, there have been some low-grade fevers among the young and some more severe pain in the, sh in the, at the injection site in the, in the young. Not that this should be uh, persuasive, but consistent to what you're reporting. I have a 94-year-old uh, father-in-law uh, in Florida who just got his second shot a couple of days ago, felt no side effects, and uh, his biggest concerns is whether to take the Chiefs uh, or Tampa Bay Buccaneers <laughs> on Sunday, because he's going he's to lay some money down on that. Um, another topic that's coming up, I guess, on the emerging trend, uh, because there has been a shortage of vaccines, uh, is the question of whether a second dose could come from a different manufacturer. And I know it's under uh, review, I think, in the UK, Fred, uh, because that might be a very important development as well. Well, they're all directed against the spike protein. So what the actual pathway by which that antigen is presented to immune cells 
probably doesn't make a big difference. So I would think from a theoretical standpoint that you could use two, uh, two different vaccines for the two separate injections. But it would be nice to have that proved experimentally. And, and there really shouldn't be any reason why you can't do it that way, because the vaccine centers, we don't want them stockpiling vaccine for a month until they have it. But the, the, the rate of flow of vaccines to vaccine centers is steadily increasing. So they should be able to to plan out, all right, how many how many doses do I need to get second people uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, so I think that this is uh, being able to do that second vaccine with the same one in the United States, at least, is should not be a big issue. One point of information, which I think is important for the public to have, is uh, the view here that the FDA's involvement with the vaccines and the CDC's involvement um, sort of ends at the time that they approve a drug. And of course, that's not the case. Maybe both of you could uh, shed some light uh, for the audience about how there continues to be tracking by the FDA and the CDC, both in terms of uh, efficacy and also to the extent that there are side effects and the kinds of data that they produce for uh, for various scientists to review. Vaccines are ha actually handled very differently than typical medications. The The vaccine adverse event reporting system lives with vaccines for their their lifespan do you all there is always the obligation of providers to report into the VAERS system and that those reports do get reviewed at fda forever it's that, that doesn't happen with medications so i fred you're going to know better than i but i don't think it is correct to say that the fda drops out of the picture with vaccines once they're approved and then of course the other issue is this has not been approved this is strictly an emergency use authorization and approval is going to come probably next year at the earliest yes i agree with bill the the, the vaccines are monitored continually because different batches uh, could have different side effects. And because the public is so uh, concerned about vaccines and vaccine side effects, the FDA has been uh, really monitored them very closely. And so I don't think there's any fear that they're going to drop away. Uh, they will continue to monitor the, the side effects of the vaccines and their efficacy. I remember, uh, as we've alluded to, there are mutant strains so far, at least from the standpoint of severe disease and death, they're all protective. But uh, the South African one in particular, which has three separate point mutations in the spike protein, probably has modified it's a, the, the vaccine or the antibody has a little bit more difficulty recognizing uh, this mutant protein because probably its confirmation, it's how it's folded, is a little bit different. And therefore, some of the points that the antibody would attack, it may not see. So that's the concern. If there are too many mutations within the spike protein, uh, that could be potentially uh, reduce the efficacy of any vaccine. Uh, as far as the UK uh, mutant, that has only a single mutation in the spike protein, and there's every reason to believe that the efficacy for the vaccines will be uh, the same as other, other strains. As the vaccine 
these vaccines are introduced into the market, there continues to be scientific and regulatory scrutiny around these things. So hopefully the public will have an even higher degree of confidence um, in the efficacy and the safety of these vaccines. And obviously I know, Bill, you and Fred have done um, a fair amount of work in convincing people around the safety and the efficacy and disabusing people of uh, the disinformation that's out there. Fred, you opened the door uh, around the South African mutation, the UK mutation. Um, Is there anything that people should be looking at or thinking about uh, as a result of the data over the last week? Well, in Florida, unfortunately, we have the largest number of of the UK variant of any state. Uh, And that makes sense because our governor never mandated masks. So I think a fair number of people um, have not used masks. And when that happens, these mutants are more likely to spread. Uh, We're hoping that with this, this information, people will take notice and will begin using masks. The other exciting thing that I think has happened with regards to reducing spread is that because the Biden administration has mandated masks for all federal uh, sites and for transportation, this now means that uh, local mayors in Florida can actually mandate masks without the governor creating any penalties. And so actually just today, in Gainesville, Florida, the the mayor, the city council mandated a $150 fine for any bar or any restaurant where one of the patrons is not wearing a mask. I think this is very important. We talked about this before. There's a certain population that will resist all change and is only through mandates and accountability that we can convince them to wear masks. Bill, I know you're always uh, deep into the data and you you started this conversation by talking about uh, the infection rate dropping. Uh, What are you seeing in terms of the mutation? Uh, Any concerns, particular hot spots um, around the country? No, we're not seeing any right now. I mean, every everywhere is basically down. Um, the issue is, is it going to stay that way? And as uh, Dr. Fauci has said, it's something of a race. You know, can can we get a critical mass to immunity? And that's through a combination of both natural and induced immunity from vaccination. Um, and so we can re- reduce the circulation of, of virus. Um, and will will immunity to the kind of the previous main virus, will that continue on? And to what extent will it continue on with the new variants? So that's going to be the big question. You know, it's, so I, I think people should not get um, complacent that things are perfectly in the right direction, which they're doing right now, and just be a little bit concerned about what's going to happen in, you know, say the mid, early to mid March timeframe, and might things start picking up again? Especially, we start to get into mid March. Uh, that's kind of spring break season for colleges, and uh, people start moving outdoors again, or and moving more into gatherings again. You know, get out of this period that we're in now. Some something of the hibernation period. 
and that is going to that could set the stage for things coming back again in mid March. So we'll have to be watching that closely. But the the good news is that you know now in the United States we have 32 million doses that have been administered. That's at least that's eight percent of the population that has have had at least one vaccination. We put that on top of. You know, it's a, it's a little bit of a, a guess, but you know, 30-ish percent of the population that has been exposed to the virus naturally. So, you know, we're we're maybe halfway. Um, there's lots of caveats and maybes and all that, but we're maybe halfway to uh, herd immunity at this point. So, we're we're getting there. If people are following the CDC guidelines, we may not have the mutants take over. If the mutant, uh, the UK, either one, both of them are about 80% increase in, in ability to spread. If they take over, we will see a huge surge, very much like was seen in southern, uh, the southern England. Um, so let's hope that the, and, and it is a race, if we can get enough people vaccinated. And I think one of the stories that's very interesting, Bill, you may know more about it, but I was reading that India has a very low incidence right now of the virus. And everybody is wondering, scratching their heads, what happened? And it turns out approximately 50%, they calculated about 50% of the people and even higher percentages in some of the cities have been infected and therefore they are getting close to herd immunity there. So if we could get up another 30%, we might achieve at least early herd immunity. Right. And one of the things I keep telling people is remember herd immunity is not a switch. It's the, we say herd immunity is something like 70% that you may think of that more as a, a pretty significant inflection point. As we start getting closer to herd immunity, the number of potentially susceptible people in society is going down. So there, the R value continues to go down. But when you hit that herd immunity threshold, that 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 curve has an even steeper slope and that's really what we're talking about so it's it's not a switch that suddenly we're going to shut off all cases it'll just be a, a differing slope in the in the the r the calculated r value of interest there are two internet viral uh, things about vaccine that are going around. Um, one is, that I, 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 one of them I just laughed at the first time I heard it, but then I kept getting asked questions about it. One is that a concern that the vaccine may cause infertility in women. I, I have found nothing that supports that whatsoever. The second one, and this is the strange one, is that the viral comment is that if you have had the vaccine and therefore have immunity, you can pass it on to someone that you were intimate with. Um, I've said, no, no, that is not true in any way, shape or form. Not true. Uh, in the remaining minutes, I'd like to pivot in. And I, I was actually with the client and I was channeling uh, both of you. We're coming up with uh, one of the great gatherings of, of, of the year, the Super Bowl, where people are used to entertaining and getting together in, 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 in groups. Uh, we have Valentine's Day. Um, and uh, as you already mentioned, Bill, uh, spring break. But even if you've had the vaccine or you're halfway through the vaccine or you expect to get the vaccine, what are the precautions that people must continue to keep in mind? And I like to say we're in the eighth inning of this game or the seventh inning, and, um, you know, we have a chance to build on the lead. Let's not blow it. David, it feels a little like a broken record, but you have to can you continue to repeat that. Um, if you're in a closed space, 
um, with uh, around anyone that is not an immediate family member. Um, you should be wearing a mask and in any public area, you should be wearing a mask. You should maintain a six foot distance. You should not go to a, a location where there is uh, a large number of people. And uh, as far as the Super Bowl, you should not invite guests from outside your immediate family who have been together before because the the risk of someone carrying the virus, if they come into your house, and particularly when you sit in front of your TV and start cheering, guess what? Cheering and loud voice is the best way to produce aerosol and droplets there is. And you will, if someone is in your house that you don't know where they've been recently and they, and they are infected, you will become infected. It's highly, highly likely. And wouldn't that be unfortunate when we're so close um, we don't want any more, as, as a physician, I don't want to see another person in the hospital on a respirator. And then as far as what does having the vaccine, how does that change your behavior? For now, it should not. I mean, I think that at some point we may get to where we have more data in, in addition to the AstraZeneca that is showing that the vaccine actually does decrease in infectivity. But for now, it should not change your behavior. The one thing that may change behaviors coming who knows how soon, but but down the road, is watching the the cases, the incident rate, the cases per 100,000 per day. When that gets down to the low single digits or ideally even less than one, that's the point at which the community infection rate is relatively negligible. But I think that's probably what people should be looking at as a more controlling gauge of of behaviors than whether or not you've been vaccinated. Uh, Bill, I, I couldn't agree more. And I actually practiced that. I got the vaccine. I actually worked in the hospital for two weeks. I wore an N95 mask the entire time and I never took it off except to eat. And I was kept uh, at 10 to 15 feet apart from anyone else when I did eat. So I think it's really important at this point to practice the same way, the same behaviors that we did before and not let up. Now in Florida, I checked this, uh, the data. I remember about th three months ago, we were very worried about 25 new cases per 100,000. In Florida, I think it's still at 60 per 100,000, 50 per 100,000. So we're not even close to the, uh, even though it's decreased, it decreased from a very, very high level. So we're not out of the woods yet as far as new cases per 100,000. So I want to thank you both for, uh, again, some very, very clear insights, practical advice, and certainly one new takeaway is uh, people should not fall for the pickup line that I've been vaccinated <laughs> and uh, I, can, I, can, I can help you. So, uh, so that's the most the important thing to take it. I, it is. By, by the way, Bill, <laughs> if, if people take away nothing, nothing else from this podcast uh, there, there are a lot of there are a lot of schemes that have as you know have arisen from the pandemic people selling various uh, cures and, and and even investment schemes around this so thank you both again bill and fred always an honor thank well, you david thank you david dr bill lang is an expert in public health responses to biological incidents including pandemics 
Dr. Fred Southwick is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Florida College of Medicine. Individuals and organizations turn to RAIN for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. You can sign up for our coronavirus solution to get critical information on the COVID-19 pandemic delivered daily to your inbox. Visit us at RAINNetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E Network.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.